Welcome back to another episode of With Sonar. We are so glad you're here. It's Wednesday. It's very cold. It's snowy. And I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Kyle Taylor. Kyle, this you're not used to this kind of weather. You're, you're, from, you're from Florida, man. What's your take on all this? This is cold. It's brutal. It's flurrying outside. But luckily in Chattanooga, we have a, a wonderful mountain that has stopped much of that cold storm to really hit us. Uh, unlike everyone else on the other side of that mountain being uh, we're going into Memphis, going into East Texas and across uh, the, the Western Plains. And it's definitely not been a, a great week for transportation. It's been a lot of shutdowns, been a lot of uh, volatility and a, a lot of just sitting in and waiting. So that's a it's been a really unique spell for what we were expecting in a somewhat of a softening entrance to 2021. That is absolutely correct. And normally it's considered a big party foul to talk about the weather and just a simple conversation. However, in this case, it is like legitimately affecting the freight market and throwing quite a bit of volatility even into the national indexes that we'll take a look at. But before we even get there, we actually have a very special guest that we're going to be bringing onto the show shortly. Um, So stay tuned. If you're watching now, also live, either on the website or on LinkedIn, uh, be sure to comment or stick around. We'll be having a lot of good conversations coming in with the state of the freight market. We'll talk a little bit more about how the snow has actually impacted uh, the freight market as well from a data perspective. So it'll be really, really interesting to see that. Um, Kyle, something that uh, you know, something that we we talk about a lot is we talk about tender rejections a lot. Yeah, um, and how they really determine sentiment in the market, particularly carrier sentiment, right? This week, we saw volume go down by around 3 or 4%. And tender rejections actually rose by nearly 10% this week, which is a bit odd. And that shows you what kind of effect the snow has had on the market. When there's less demand, right, but the capacity right. actually tightens and rates go up further. Have you have you experienced that? Have you talked to anybody about that yet? Well, I, I mean, we've all kind of experienced that. We've all had our hurricanes. We've had our weather storms, and and so that's really just it falls into that category of you know those the the weather events that can just sh- really shake the entire transportation market. You know, one thing that makes this completely different, obviously, is that it's hitting areas that not that don't normally have to deal with this. I mean, you have airports, rail hubs. Trucks that are shut down in in uh, in Texas, you have people without power, you have people without water, and so there's more than just an issue with you know getting freight coming across from from let's say California going into Dallas or just California coming across to the East Coast. Um, you're having a lot of additional things that are shutting down that are causing more disruption than just in the trucking market. But to that to that point exactly, we've also been on a tailwind of just this COVID type nature where there's just a massive surplus of demand, meaning really there's just more freight moving in the United States right now than there has been in previous years, causing any sort of disruption to really just shake the entire uh, landscape of what's happening in the the transportation industry. No, that's absolutely correct. Um, And you're spot on with that. Um, why, don't, why don't we also let, let, let's dive in here? We've got a special guest here with us, Kyle Littner, 
um, who's been on on the air with Freightways many times before, and I think it'd be great to bring him on. And we'll talk about the snow, but we'll talk a lot about the you know the state of the freight market as well. So, uh, folks, Kyle Lindner, Principal and Managing Director for K Ratio, are you on the air? Can you hear us? Loud and clear. What's going on, guys? Fantastic. Glad to have you. By the way, you know, it's a very studious background there with the bookshelves and everything. You know, that's that's when you know you've made it. Very well, that's, educated, that's, folks. that's the question that we need to ask. Did you set up the background for videoing or did it just so happen that you had this set up before COVID hit? It was the latter. Um, the stuff's all been here forever. Never really served a purpose other than to store things. Uh, COVID hit. I actually had a conversation with the rest of the guys uh, at K-Ratio and said, hey, look, because we had just started filming uh, our videos, our weekly videos. I said, I don't want to keep going in the office if we're going to be working from home. Do you think this is an okay backdrop? And several people were like, no, it looks better. Stay there. So I'll take it. There you go. And you've been doing videos well before uh, before COVID hit. And even coming across companies that we talk to about our data, your name always kind of gets thrown in the ringer on on the weekly updates. What kind of stemmed that and how did you kind of find that uh, that ability to really speak to that in such a quick and easy um, time frame? Yeah, uh, it wasn't my original idea. I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, most of the stuff we did was uh, print-based, um, article research and putting that stuff out to clients and prospects. Um, in order to get with the times, I was uh, told I should make videos. That's how the people prefer to consume their stuff these days. So. The idea was let's just take what we put out uh, in print into a video, but obviously if it's going to be video, nobody's going to watch it if it's 10 or 15 minutes long. So let's reduce it down, boil down the points and, and try and get the messages across. You know, you mentioned doing it before COVID. Uh, it's really funny when I think back on it, but the original videos, call it four to six weeks prior to lockdowns here, uh, were all about how there's this new virus called COVID and it's in China and how is that going to affect our domestic supply chain? Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, I don't think any of us re really knew it was going to get here and throw an entire different set of problems our way. Right. That, no, that's, it, a, that's a good point there, Kyle. Um, you know, talking about the effect that it's had, right? You know, we we saw we saw truckload volume levels, tender requests at least, you know, rise by some, you know, 30, 40, I think up to 50 percent for a brief moment there in, in certain areas. Right. I mean, what is, you know. What what do we make of that? Is that is that something that we're going to continue to see a supply chain shift, or is that you know is that is that kind of an anomaly that you know um, we just get the black swan event? That's the question. It really is, and I wish I could tell you with certainty what the answer was or is, but uh, I don't think any of us know. And if I put myself back in in my shoes of where I was a year ago when I, I was actually rereading some of these, uh, it was the same questions. And there were some things that we got right, and there were some things that we got wrong. And initially, we thought. Uh, correctly that there would be a big surge. Everyone's going to do the hurry up and buy uh, and then uh, take the lockdowns coupled with the production shutdowns in China, we would see a, a drop. And we got that as well. I think what we didn't see at K-Ratio, and I don't think anyone else foresaw, was the post-lockdown surge in consumption, uh, whether that's finished goods or for household food that we saw. That's kind of been the impetus for this great freight bull market. Um, and that's uh, an answer to the second part of your question, because that's consumer behavior. And that was the one thing that I kind of wanted to throw out there a year ago. And I didn't know what the answer was, but I thought we should start talking about this. When we have events that are anomalous in nature, these things like a, a global pandemic, they have a tendency to fast forward any sort of 
momentum in certain areas that we have. Whatever has been trending, maybe incrementally, and it is some sort of change, those tend to get sped up very, very rapidly. And I think where we were headed towards e-commerce has just been magnified now post-pandemic. So now it's the conversations of what does this even look like when we get out of the pandemic and things return to quote unquote normal? How are the consumption behaviors of United States citizens and even for the, the globe in that matter, uh, what do they look like? Are we all going to become accustomed to ordering food via DoorDash or, or Grubhub, having our delivery sent via Instacart? Is everything going to be purchased on Amazon or, or, or Walmart and sent to our home in a, in a parcel? Are we done going to stores? Is this finally the nail in the coffin for brick and mortar? I don't really know exactly what any of those timelines are, if those are even yes to the question, but those questions have serious implications for freight. Because if we think about how you spend your discretionary income, uh, if you're sitting at home and you're purchasing everything to be sent to you, that looks a lot different than if you're going out and purchasing those things yourself. Not to mention the second order of effect of things we get from a reduction in uh, travel, be it personal or business, and spending our dollars out on services or restaurants. Because if I spend you know, $100 at a restaurant, that's got one type of freight footprint. But if I spend that same $100 at a grocery store, you know, I'm coming home with a lot more. And it looks a lot different for replenishment within that supply chain. That also, you know, just completely changes the landscape of what the trucking markets are are established. Like, so previous to, to COVID, you had a like if you're looking at a building, you had the way that we set things up previously. And I always like to refer to Colorado or even just think of things because I like beer. Yeah, I, I we would go and we would go to bars to that exact point, going to a, a bar who's now ordering beer from, say, Coors from a keg. Is, right. That's now a drastically different style of supply chain than me going to the store and grabbing a 24 pack, of course, then bring home uh, to to now drink it from home. And which now changes who would have thought that Denver, the Denver market would be somewhere that would be sought after for carriers where previously it was not. And, You're 100 percent right. Yep. It brings that dynamic of, OK, well, how do we rebuild? You brought up a lot of things on that point where it's now it's rebuilding. And I think the weather and these different events that are occurring now, we're rebuilding from the foundation. But it almost like as soon as we get to that second floor, something happens and it shakes it all down. Uh, a lot of shippers are going through rebids right now. And we're trying to establish new rates. And then all of a sudden, well, tender rejections, which are looking at how often carriers are rejecting their contracted freight, is it gets shut down because, oh, well, now carriers don't even want to go into that market, let alone try to, or they can't even move actually right now because they're all shut down. Right. You know, there's there's two things to that. Um, we can have, and you guys were mentioning it even earlier, this uh, this predicted almost this expected softening of the spot market that we've kind of all kind of seen coming or at least predicted. Uh, and now we see the uptick in spot rates. And that is due to the weather, but that's primarily because on a macro level, we have a very, very delicate balance of supply and demand between loads and truck capacity right now. That if there is any sort of disruption to the network, you know, Dallas is the story right now. But what people often forget is if that truck cancels the load, destined for Dallas, he's also not picking in Dallas and going to his next destination. So there is a ripple effect that comes throughout the supply chain. And right now, we just don't have any excess slack by way of capacity to absorb any of that. So as long as everything is perfectly humming, we can expect spot rates to continue to decline 
uh, albeit somewhat softly, just because spot or contract rates are increasing. But if we have any sort of disruption to the normal patterns that shifts where the trucks are at, and now they're not in the right place at the right time, you're going to see spot rates immediately jump. And that situation is going to continue to play out until we get an increase in truck capacity or just an an absolute massacre in where contract rates go over spot. That's that's an interesting point, Colin. I think you're spot on. And, and also, before we get to that, uh, we're skipping over something very important here in that Kyle talks about him going and buying a 24-pack. Kyle, you don't have enough friends for that, so we, we know that was a, an embellishment. But um, well, that a Tuesday night. <laughs> He's 100% right on that. And that's, I, I, I bring up a very similar example all the time when I try and explain pre- and post-COVID implications on freight. Um, if you go out to dinner and you have you know a nice place, two steaks, I don't drink wine, I'll call it a couple of beers, that's got one freight in, uh, yeah. uh, imprint. I, that same amount of money, if I go to Costco or the grocery store, that's five times as many steaks and two cases of beer. Which <laughs> one takes up more space on the truck, especially if it is, like uh, Kyle said, if it's a keg? You know, one's going to go through trucks the way that we've seen it. The other one now in this new paradigm that we live in is entirely different. And we're not ready for that right now, both in supply chain networks and overall truck capacity. And that's why we have spot rates that are, you know, 70% higher than what they were a year ago. Right. And we, we've seen we've seen new truck orders continue to increase. But that e- even with that surge, you know, that, that that's going to take a long time for that yeah. to really hit the market and and and, and come into play and 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 find that balance. Um, do you have any insight on, on you know, you know, is there is there an equilibrium that we're going to have to hit, you know, between new truck orders you know, new people hitting the market. Kind of obviously, we don't have the exact answer, but is there any 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 signs we should be looking for 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 that sort of equilibrium? Yeah, and you touched on it. Uh, it's new truck orders you know, to, to close out twenty one November December were some of the strongest months on record, top five months. Um, in fact, the highest were November and December. That's great, but they don't show up overnight, unfortunately. Uh, and I think that's why we have this somewhat general consensus right now on how twenty twenty one looks to. To shape out uh, almost a tale of two halves is what we've coined it here. It's going to be the first half will be a continuation of what we saw in 20, tight capacity. Uh, we'll have little flare-ups on spot rates, but as contract rates exceed spot, that, that kind of mitigates some of that. But the second half has the potential to look entirely different, and that's because a lot of these new truck orders will show up and typical historical seasonality just in freight. You know, Fourth of July tends to mark the, the peak of what we see in a traditional freight year and the back half of it tends to get a little soft until we get to the holiday season. I don't know with certainty that we're going to get the same thing this year because it seems like all bets are off now post COVID. But if the typical seasonal norms come into play, once we get into uh, call it July or August, and we've had another annual bid cycle come through, which will push the contract rates by higher. We'll have that seasonal downturn in volumes and we'll have a lot of this new capacity online we should see significant softening of spot rates at that point and some more normal footing and freight to look a lot more like what we're used to. And so Kate Ratio does talks a lot about risk management and trying to just hedge uh, your ability to on these downturns and on these upticks in rates. And, and so what? how do you feel things move? If, if things start to move into more of a quarterly or semi-annual type contract, does the principle that you brought up on previous call or previously previously 
Does that still apply now? Or how does the risk factor change when maybe there is more procurement runs in a fiscal year? I think it changes and it changes for the better and, and more than ever before. And that's simply because we're now reducing the amount of time exposure on these contracts. For whatever reason, uh, and I don't think we have enough time in this program to go into it, but for whatever reason in freight, we have contract market and a spot market, and nobody's tied to anything contractually. That is what creates a lot of the problems inside of freight. You know, you don't have tender rejections if you just have one marketplace. And what people often overlook is that from a 3PL standpoint, who supply a lot of uh, capacity um, to a, a shipper, those 3PLs operate inside of the spot market, no matter what they're doing. If it's a contract load or a spot load, whenever they're booking it, they're booking it at the current market rate, which is the spot rate. So that's why we get into these problems when spot exceeds contract, because now you get the tender rejections. That creates magnitude effects of the original problem of just not having enough trucks or not having the trucks in the right place at the right time. So if we think about a, a traditional RFP that's 12 months or some even run out to 24, you can't expect that to hold true. There's no way anybody can tell you what the price of anything is going to be a week from now, let alone a year from now. So you're setting yourself up for disaster. And, and I used to really be against the idea of mini bids or, or rates on fire, these temporary things that shippers used to do. But the more I thought about it, now I like it. They're just trying to reprice the market continuously. And it's cumbersome. It's not fun for anyone because the procedures just aren't in place right now. Uh, but what they're trying to get at from the shipper's perspective is just a reduction in that volatility and the noise and having their workforce deal with everything ripping through the routing guide. What's the point of keeping that rate, that contracted rate for the next 10 months, if as soon as you set it, you know you're going through primary, secondary, and tertiary, and you're hitting the spot? doesn't do anybody any good. So if they reduce that now to six months or, hey, for three months, this is our new RRP cycle, you, you might not have any better accuracy in predicting that rate, but you've reduced the timeline that you can be subjected to dealing with that inaccurate rate. And in a weird, perverse way, that has a an overall diminishing um, effect on volatility, which is really what the problem between spot and contract rates are, extreme volatility. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a spot on there, Kyle. And 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 I've been having conversations with a lot of different shippers and and some who have the have the have the ability or have the resources to run you know more frequent bids. They're they're willing to do that. And a lot of others that are a little more resistant, um, they don't have the resources. They 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 try to come up with a budget. To your point, they don't hit it. It's volatile. They they come up with all these you know these bids. They end up costing themselves more work because. You know, it gets rejected. They're still having to go to the spot market. Um, but, you know, it, it, it does seem that, you know, even a, even a quarterly bid, if, if that were to become more norm, to reduce the volatility, the shippers get a little advantage because it makes it easier for them to help budget a little bit. It's a less of an operational lift. They're getting less rejections. Carriers and brokers are a little bit more willing to maybe not reject, even if it gets a little bit, even if rates go up a little more on the spot market because they know they can renegotiate a lot sooner. Um, I, I think I think that would be really helpful for the market, obviously, uh, to to really reduce that volatility. And, and I think I think I, th I don't think that's a that's a that's a one 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 party wins. I think a lot of I think everybody wins in that in that regard in some way. No, completely so agree. Like it, it's going to completely change how we operate, though. You know, so like, like from the carrier's perspective, now your pricing guy that's usually just a pricing guy, like one person. Is is if we're going through now procurement runs that are continual, that's going to change how organizations set up that role. Same thing on the shipper side. 
So shippers now, if they're going through procurement runs, they're going to need, would they rather have their employees do operational tasks like manage spot boards, send out loads and try to negotiate pricing on every single load? Or do we just try to do a continual procurement run where they're just doing bids pretty much the entire year? It's like, which, which one would you rather have? And that's a, that's a tough question to ask and will change how companies structure that position going into the future, I feel like. No, completely agree. You're, you're right on that as well. And that's uh, that's a situation where I think everybody needs to take an honest look in the mirror and just admit that what we have right now is broken. It doesn't work. If all of if, what are we, 21%, 22% right now on 10 rejections? Yep. You're going to yep. tell me that four out, not even four out of five lows are, are going through? That's that's not good for anybody. Think about the lost productivity due to the workers, even just from the shipper side, that have to deal with loads constantly being rejected. And now I got to set it out to spot, whether that's a board whether that's a list, whether somebody's managing it. The broker has a lost productivity of having to reject the load and then go out and try and make up that money by, by picking up spot business elsewhere. And the carriers don't like it because all the carriers want is to keep the wheels moving and at a respectable, normal pace. It, we all stand to benefit if there's increased efficiency inside of this industry. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the net spend comes down, which carriers are going to say doesn't sound like great to them. But if you're doing more with less, you end up benefiting in the long run. And now we all have uh, you know, better things to do and, and better dollars to allocate elsewhere. I don't think anybody wants to keep shelling out 50 bucks an hour on detention stuff. But those are, those are the kinds of things that need to change, whether that's software-based or just sitting down with your people uh, in the meantime before we get to this completely automated world uh, when Uber Freight takes over in 2047. Uh, but... <laughs> You have to start and pick up some of these inefficiencies within your organization, whether you're a shipper carrier or 3PL. You know, not only is it bad for business, but it's bad for your bottom line. Yeah. I think Amazon will, won't let Uber take over without a fight, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Um, no, that, 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 that's, that's, that's so true. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the closer we can get to that point is, is, is definitely, definitely going to be, you know, a, a, the cost savings will be through the roof, obviously, but then definitely, you know, the efficiency, I think will help as well. Um, and, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there will be, you know, I, I think we, we definitely have to get there partly through transparency. You know, that's, you know, we, we talked about this, you're familiar with, you know, and people who watch the show are familiar with Sonar and that. That's obviously the goal of it, but you know, hopefully, getting to the point where it, it is easier to, to run those bids or have that procurement cycle, uh, hopefully shorter, but also also easier. Um, we've seen. Um, I know we're we're getting close here towards the end of time, um, you know, and and we'll probably probably throw up a map or two just kind of for for fun's sake, real quick. If we can, maybe throw up a, the map that we have of the there it is right there. So that's the weekly tenor rejection change. Just kind of a quick visual. If you're just listening, we'll describe it to you. If you're watching, this is fun here. What this is telling you, this is just in relation to the snowstorm, just to see what kind of effect it has on tender rejections. So the blue markets there where tender rejections are increasing, right? Um, for those that can't see, that's uh, Texas is very blue right now, as well as a little bit in the middle of the country around, you know, Tennessee, a little bit of Kansas, um, a little bit of Missouri. Um, and then the red areas are where tenant rejections are decreasing. So Texas, very blue, it got hit by the snow and it is just mind boggling to see how high tender rejections have just risen in some of those, some of those Texas markets where the snowstorm has really shut things down. A lot of folks without power, 
Um, but it's it's truly incredible how what kind of effect that has. We've seen that, I think, on smaller scales with hurricanes hitting Florida or, or other parts um, of the Gulf and occasionally the West Coast, sometimes with the fires on, on the um, on the West Coast as well. But um, I don't know if either either Kyle's, I'm, I'm at the disadvantage of not being <laughs> Kyle, but if either Kyle's, have you seen uh, maybe a, a weather event affect the market in such a way or such a large part of the uh, the geography? Not really. It's not on the coast, right? If you if you yank out the hurricane, I think the answer is no. What what else has had this type of effect? Right, and that just continues to validate the, you know, this is not a national thing. Like this is so regionalized that you know, if we're looking at spot market rates going from Dallas to LA, we can see just the massive increase just because there's there it is just static right there. Nothing's moving. Whereas if we're looking at other markets, and I think that, you know, it's why we we try to push with sonar. It's it's so regionalized that if you're not looking at where your power lanes are or what markets you're going to be looking in, you're almost you're failing because if you just keep that national average or looking at how things maybe were seven days ago where there wasn't a storm, that almost sets you up for failure on how you should price. And, and so with Kyle, you really pushing a lot of different data. On, on what K-Ratio puts out. How much is it of that unified message of just like, let's talk to the same data so that we both can make a decision on both sides of the of the coin? I think so that's, that's step you- one. Yeah. And and that's a lot of, I think, what you guys have done here. And that's really to, to tie into what you were saying, Luke, that almost the genesis of what needs to happen and is, is happening in freight was started with freight waves and sonar, because now you do have some transparency and you have a common language to speak with other people and a place to do it as well. If you even just looking at that map, it almost looks identical to the weather map. They show the storms originating down in Dallas and it's that 45 degree line moving eastward. You can look at it on the map on the blue. That's where all the cancellations are. And then if we think about how that's going to actually affect freight and what it means for us, the tangible aspects of it. All right. We all know that in Texas, rejections are through the roof. So rates are going to follow on that. What's going to happen next is and I think a little bit of that is why you see the redness in the Pacific Northwest. Trucks are going to work their way down to that area because they know they're going to get higher rates per mile coming out of it. So in the in the interim, it's going to suck to be down in that area right now from a shipper's point of view. You're going to pay out the you-know-what for it. But at a point, capacity will overcorrect to that area, and now you'll have too many trucks in there for the loads that are around, and you'll see rates drop. And there's that yo-yo effect, uh, this feedback loop, of uh, head hauls and back hauls with relation to the weather events and how that then affects rates. Because there isn't enough trucks in Texas right now and suddenly there's gonna be too many trucks. And those trucks that did show up in Texas, they came from somewhere. And wherever they left is now going to be void of the capacity that they had. And the one thing that uh, I always try and stress, no matter what the conversation is, when it comes to price, price is nothing more than an advertising mechanism and it's letting you know that we either have too much or too little of something. So when the rates jump, it means we don't have enough trucks. We need more trucks. When the rates drop, we have too many trucks. We just don't have any load volume. So it isn't like anyone's pushing price behind the scenes or anything's being manipulated. It's simply just a way to get the message out to everybody. Hey, look, we need help here. Now, you can use sonar and some of those tools like that map to try and get ahead of its stuff and so you don't have to wait for price to tell you to show up. And I think that's what we see in that. Everybody we saw in the news, the, the bad things that were happening in Texas, it, word travels fast these days. We need uh, some people to finally show up and start getting these loads out the door once the dust settles. 
but those trucks have to come from somewhere. And then that's the next right. problem place. No, that's actually, it's funny you bring that up. And I know we have uh, 90 seconds left here, so we'll try to fit this in. But but Brandon on the on the comments asked, when do you... When do you expect things to return to normal after the storm? Monday, right now, after the out there, there's absolutely no trucks. And to exactly what you called out, it is a yo-yo. It is a, an endless feedback loop of, okay, there's no trucks. Well, price is going to surge. There's going to be a high demand for trucks in that market, which is going to cause price to go up, which is that marketing effect of it. And it's going to draw those trucks in. So I guess we'll see, we'll see as those rejections start to increase or decrease, and we'll see how price starts to get inflated or deflated from there. Right. That's hey, it was, that's it was a great conversation, Kyle. We're, we're actually, we're, we're, we're less than, less than a minute back, only about 45 seconds. We're going to have to part ways here. Um, and then Kyle and I will, will, will close things out here, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'll probably have you either on this or I'm sure you'll be around on something else, giving us, uh, us your expertise at some point, but Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. No, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. It's good talking freight with people that know it. Fantastic, Kyle. Hey, take care. Have a great rest of your day. You too, guys. Thank you. And so for, for those who don't know, I know we got only got about 15 seconds here left, but we are going to be live on, on any anywhere you're having podcasts. So um, for those of you who are who may be looking for a new podcast with Sonar, we'll be out there for you. Um, but that'll be it for us. Thank you all for joining. We'll be live next week at 3.30 on Wednesday. Hope you all have a great rest of your day and keep trucking out there.